I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. And this is former Congressman Gary Franks. And his son, Gary Jr. Well, Gary, today we're going to pick up on our top basketball players of all time segment. Uh, we did from 1960 through 1990. And today we will identify from 1992, roughly the present, but we're, we're not going to go quite to the present. Why don't you explain how we're going to do that, Gary? Well, what we're going to do is we're only going to do the players that have been drafted since 2012 because, obviously, um, those players that have been drafted past 2012, they haven't really established themselves or haven't reached a certain point. So there won't be uh, the Greek freak on our list. There will be no Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, you know, those type of players. And once again, like we did in the prior episode, uh, we are not going to rank the players now. We are just going to identify the top 25 in this category now. And then we're going to come back and rank all the players for the top 50 players of all time. Now, there are some players, Gary, I think we'll agree, we don't need to talk about now because they're going to be talked about enough as we go through our, our rankings. And I'm going to list five players, which really could be 10 because there's some so many great players during this era yep. that kind of fall into that category. Um, in no particular order, but I have to always start with Michael Jordan. Um, then you have uh, Kobe Bryant, um, Kevin Durant. I think he just makes it. I hope if he doesn't make that time for period frame, Gary, let me know and I'll take him out. Um, LeBron James and one of my favorites of all time, a person who you've had a chance to meet, Gary, as well as myself. You've even taken pictures with this individual, the great Shaquille O'Neal. All right. Well, let me uh, jump in. That would not be my automatic five. However, they are all in. And Kevin Durant was drafted in 2008, actually 2007, so he makes the cut. Okay. So, um, but I wouldn't, but yes, I agree with you with those five players. They are on my list. They're pretty, you know, self-explanatory, um, you know, love them or hate them, those are the guys. And who are your five that are automatic, Gary? Well, for me, uh, Michael, of course, LeBron. I go Tim Duncan and I go Kobe Bryant. Those are my five that, that I say are pretty much automatic. Um, you know, we'll get into all the players at a certain time. But those are my five automatic. You know, I am so surprised, man, to meet Shaquille O'Neal and his entire family. He's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and he was gracious enough to take pictures with you and – we had a chance to talk to his mother, had a nice conversation with his mom. It was a great event. In fact, I think it was his mom's birthday party. And the theme of the party was Shaq's going to knock you out. Oh, no, Mama said Shaq knock you out. It was Mama said knock you out off of the LL Cool J song. 
That's right. Okay. And at that function, we're digressing, obviously. At that function was a number of people who are in the Hall of Fame or who will be in the Basketball Hall of Fame and also in the Football Hall of Fame. It was quite an event, folks. And we'll, we'll talk about it. Let's, Gary, let's talk a little bit about it now. We will definitely touch upon it before we end this whole segment because it was a outstanding evening and it was a fundraiser but it was a it was just a fun opportunity for for us and and gary i think other than shaq's children you were the only child there i think yeah i was i was i was i was actually uh well that nine ten years old when that event happened and a lot of the people that were at the event are on my list okay okay so we'll we'll come to them as we uh, walk our way through through the list then <laughs> but I have a reason for why Shaq is not automatically in my five, and we'll get to that as we, you know, go through the list. Um, you know, we're going to leave those five, you know, just leave them out for now because I think, you know, we have those are the basic five. Um, but for you, do you have anything you want to say about Tim Duncan? Because for me, he's automatically in, so I'll talk about him a little later. <laughs> you know, let's talk about uh, Tim Duncan a little later. He okay. is a um, – Recent inductee to the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, overall, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Tim Duncan, but obviously he should be in the Hall of Fame and he's, he's going to be on this list. But um, I, I, I'd rather start with other folks than, than Tim Duncan. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the guy who's always kind of, uh, I won't say pushed to one side, but I'm going to talk about two individuals, in fact. One was kind of pushed side a lot and one who everybody knows not just from basketball the one that's pushed aside a lot is is Carl Malone the number two scorer all of all time and yet uh, you know a lot of people don't know that name you know and he uh, two-time most valuable player 97 and 99 I guess Michael was taking a nap during those years and then a 14-time all-star Averaged 25 points a game, 10 points, 10 rebounds a game, shot over 50% from the from the field, over 75% from the free throw line, even got almost four assists a game. He uh, obviously, you know, they always had to run against Michael, Michael Jordan. So they, he doesn't have any titles. He did go to the Lakers toward the latter part of his career, but the mailman, he always delivered. And and many of the folks that we're going to be talking about in, in this era, they many of them do have nicknames, you know. So we got talking about the mailman a little later on. We'll talk about the answer, and uh, so they all have you know nicknames. Sir Charles is the next person I wanted to talk about because Sir Charles, everybody knows him, and I I think most people know him not as a basketball player, but as a basketball analyst and personality. And another individual that you had a chance to meet. And you also have a picture with, with, with Sir Charles, right, Gary? Yes, I do. But I actually – I do. I do. And Charles Barkley's probably the best power forward of that time, you know, when he played in the 80s and 90s. I have him a little bit above a Carl Malone because Carl Malone, he usually did deliver. But there was one series where he missed two key free throws and he just didn't deliver in that series. I believe it was in 1997. Um, in Chicago, that allowed the Bulls to win that game and to win that series in six games. So he, yes, he usually delivered, but not, not in that case. Uh, for me, Charles Barkley, you know, is probably the best power forward of, of that time, and 
Bobby Knight said that he's the second best player that he's ever seen behind Michael Jordan. Well, I tell you, Charles Barkley was one of the most intimidating forces in basketball. Uh, 6'6", even though, Gary, we stood next to him. He's not 6'6". But anyhow, 250 pounds, and we stood right next to him. He's probably about 40 to 50 pounds heavier. But then again, obviously, he, he was. this was many years after he had retired. Uh, Charles Barkley was is just a, was a major force. And I agree, the best power forward, I think, in the history of the game. Uh, at 6'5", 6'6", led the NBA in rebounding. And how do you do that at 6'5", 6'6", going up against guys who are 7 feet, 7'2", 7'3"? Uh, just unbelievable. MVP of 1993 season. Um, averaged 22 points a game, about 12 rebounds a game. You know, uh, everyone talks about Zion Williamson. Well, Charles Barkley was Zion before Zion, or Zion would like to be like Charles Barkley. I'm not sure how you would phrase it. But there's some similarities there. But uh, Charles Barkley, I still see him as being one of a kind because the, the way that he dominated a game and handled the ball and, 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 and just showed tremendous leadership on the court was just I mean, just remarkable. And, and the way that he shows leadership as a basketball analyst, you know, Charles will say it like it is. Whether you like it or not, he is going to give you his opinion and he will back his opinion for as long as you are willing to listen. So I, I admire him as a person who not only was a great basketball player, but had a life after basketball. And that's what life is about. You're going to transition from one profession to another. That happens often. And Charles did, has done that so successfully, seamlessly, quite frankly. Um, and someone that I, I'm also very proud of and proud to have had a chance to actually uh, spend a little time with. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't, I can't add anything else to it. Uh, but in in 1990, Charles actually should have won the MVP. I don't know if you know about this, uh, Dad, but in 1990, Charles Barkley's got all the first place votes and still lost the MVP that year to Magic Johnson. So it's one of the most iconic uh, moments when it comes to the MVP award. Charles should actually have two MVP awards, but uh. I'm not going to say he's the best power forward ever. I'm not going to go that far. But he was the best power forward when he was playing. Oh, okay. When he was playing, he dominated as a power forward. Okay. okay. I may I may have to eat those words as well. So, I'm, But I'm going to stick with him right now because um, I was just so, so impressed by Charles in the, in the way that he he truly uh, changed the game. And, and, that, and that's – to me, when I we mentioned those first five, but when you when you look at a player and how they actually changed the game, and I know I started the whole program off with a guy by the name of Bob Cousy because he kind of changed the game uh, as well. Um, you you got to have him up near the top of any list. So um, now I'm going to another person that stand would would truly stand hand hand head and shoulders over other people. That is a guy by the name of. David Robinson, also known by simply the Admiral. High school Gary, he was 6'6", 175 pounds. So he was able to get admitted into the Naval Academy because he was, you know, normal size. Uh, you know, tall, don't get me wrong, not that normal. But but still, not 7'1", 7'2". So when he graduated from the Naval Academy, he had shot up to about 7'1". And, you know, he was... 
unlike uh, Saulback, who had to serve some time in the military right after graduated from Annapolis, he was given somewhat of a waiver because he was too tall for them to do many things with, and he was able to go right into the NBA. And I tell you, MVP in 1995, 10-time All-Star, uh, two titles, a dominant role in, in two Olympic games. Uh, David Robinson, once again, uh, a person that you have to say, hey, where did he come from to, for starters? In high school, no one was even trying to recruit him. It wasn't until he got about a 1350 on his SATs that he was able to get into the Naval Academy. And then he ends up putting up numbers like I just mentioned. 20, well, I didn't mention it. 21 points a game, about 11 rebounds a game, shooting 52% from the field, 74% from the foul line, and a major role in uh, in helping the San Antonio Spurs um, win two titles and develop the, the Twin Towers. The Twin Towers uh, in basketball. Um, David Robinson is one of those guys that I think gets overshadowed with another guy, which is why Shaq is not on my automatic top five, and that's Hakeem the Dream, Elijah Wong, who was the only player to win a championship in the 90s, you know, throughout the entire decade because Michael Basie shut everybody out. The best post moves probably we've ever seen in NBA history is guys like Joel Embiid and, you know, and uh, Anthony Davis a little bit. They tried to copy his footwork, his movements. LeBron James went down to work with him, you know, you know, just trying to figure out his post game. The best post moves we've ever seen, number one, all-time in black shots. He made David Robson look foolish in 1994 and in 1995. You know, made him look like he didn't deserve the MVP award. But Akeem Olajuwon is definitely the the best center, in my opinion, of that time period because he beat all the centers. He beat Alonzo Mourning, Matumbo, Shaq, etc. Gary, I, I I agree that he was an outstanding player. And if you had to ask me who would be the best player not born in the United States to play in the NBA, I would say that Olajuwon would be that person. And that, that's, that's a close call. Well, that's I would a close call. We'll, we'll talk about that a little later, I guess, because uh, I agree with all the things you just said and the fact that they won the championships that he did. The fact that not only did he make David Robinson look silly at times, oh, Patrick Ewing had, you know, it was ugly. It was really ugly. So <laughs> against some of the best big men to play the game, he stood head and shoulders over these guys and was such a leader. I mean, just a, a tremendous leader. And you're right. I'm mean, Everyone, after his career ended, everyone went down to see Elanjuan to learn how to play play the post and because he had moves he had moves like Earl the Pearl but he was a seven footer you know that's he was just truly unstoppable near the basket and you did not dare come in for a weak layup or a weak dunk because it would end up in the third row from that perspective he reminded me a lot like Bill Russell because uh, he his, his leaping ability was great but more importantly it was quick he had a very quick burst and could allow you to go off your, get off your feet and take the shot and then go up like Bill Russell used to do and then just go get it. And, and he uh, did it without goaltending all the time. Patrick had a, somewhat of a habit of goaltending, especially when he was in college and to a certain degree in his early years in the NBA. Alonjoa didn't really do that. He, he got that ball. And so he, he ranks way up on my list 
And next person I'd like to talk about, Gary, would be um, doesn't have the same numbers, but I just like the guy, and that's Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Kevin Garnett, if he had not played in Minnesota all those years, I mean, he would be, I think it's just so, it's a, he's a legendary figure already, but I mean, he'd be a household name because the guy was just at seven feet tall, handled the ball so well and so smoothly. I mean, if you have to, if you had to look at the Greek freak and say, what well, was a Greek freak like? Well, Kevin Garnett kind of started that movement of guards, of seven footers just handling the ball very smoothly, taking threes, going, driving, going to the basket. Um, he 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 was a great player and MVP of nineteen of the 04 season, and one of only four players in the history of basketball to win the MVP award and the top defensive player award in the same season. Just doesn't happen. But you did not get off a weak shot around around Kevin Garnett because he will throw it away. He would throw it away. And then, of course, his title that he won with the Celtics. But his numbers, you know, I said before, I like guys who score a lot of points. He did in some years, but his overall career average is about 17.8. But he shot 50% and made 80% from the free throw line. Uh, so Kevin Garnett is just a favorite of mine. I just – I just – I'm in, t- in fact, today I, I enjoy him when he's on TV because he is very colorful in his, uh, his commentary. Well, he's also a guy that just got in the Hall of Fame as well. Um, no, he also changed the Boston Celtics, their whole demeanor. You know, it, very similar to Ray Lewis when he came to Baltimore. Uh, yeah, Baltimore. Um, you know, he definitely changed the culture in Boston. And you can see it now with some of the players, you know, how hard they play and uh, defensively and the, the effort that they put in, you know, he's probably the second, uh, second energy player, highest energy player we've ever seen behind Russell Westbrook when it comes to just, you know, just um intensity and how hard he wants, he wants it. You know, he's definitely a great player and he did average a lot of points in Minnesota and he carried that Minnesota team with Latrell Sprewell and Sam Cassell to the Western Conference Finals. They ran to Shaq and Kobe, but that team, shouldn't have been there. That team was not as good as the Western Conference Finals team, but Kevin Garnett definitely carried that team to that point. Speaking of carrying a team, uh, let's go with my, one of my personal favorites. I think one of your favorites too, Gary, because I, I remember you know, in your room, you always had posters of this guy uh, hanging all over the place. And that is number three, the number that you wore in, in AAU basketball, Allen Iverson. Uh, he carried his team to uh, the NBA finals and would be, you know, once again, near the top of, of uh, my list and also an individual that uh, changed the game. Uh, he, he uh, the way he played, played guard, he was a combo guard. Yes, he, uh, he passed the ball. He averaged about uh, six, seven assists a game, but uh, his scoring was prolific. Uh Many years, he averaged well over 30 points a game, winning scoring titles, multiple scoring NBA scoring titles, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, career average, about 27 points a game. So in this entire era of talking about basketball players, uh, already you can see how he's averaged more points than anyone else that I've spoken about, not counting the five people that we put in the the elite category, but uh, of all the other folks, uh, his 27 points a game was, is a lot, but you know, Allen took a lot of shots, you know, but he didn't shoot a great percentage. His shooting percentage is around 41%. Uh, 
about 78% from the, from the free throw line. But the way that he carried this, the 76ers that truly had, with all due respect to the other players, you know, nobody on the team other than I, Allen. Um, they, they went all the way to the NBA Finals, and as a six-foot guard, he became the MVP of the NBA. And I think that was the first time that it happened since uh, – no, I'm, I'm sorry. We got, no, I think it was the first time since, since Bob Cousy – that someone Did Archibald didn't win the MVP. I don't think Archibald ever won the MVP title. You may have to check that. Yeah. So I think he's the smallest player to ever win an MVP award since uh, Bob Cousy was technically six one. Allen Iverson was definitely no more than six feet. Um, and so um, great player, super fast, stop on a dime, can jump out of the gym. Um, just a great basketball player. Well, there's a whole lot to say about this because this is my favorite player uh, of all time. Um, you know, his shooting percentage wasn't the highest, but to me, the, you know, in the early 2000s, it was probably one of the toughest eras of, of uh, defense in the NBA, especially being a six-foot guard. Uh, he was guarded most of the time, shooting guard, most of the time by the Kobe Bryant, the Vince Carters, guys like that. So he had – a little bit of disadvantage on the guys he was going up against. But he also changed the culture, obviously, outside of basketball. You know, you don't, you know, people were wearing cornrows. They were, you know, the baggy clothes. The dress code in the NBA is because of Allen Iverson. Um, so, you know, good or bad. But How about the tattoos? The tattoos? Yeah. Allen kind yep. of leads well, Yeah, him and Dennis Rodman were the first two guys to really have the tattoos. Uh, you know, are the sleeves. You know, on the arms, all that stuff was all Allen Iverson. Um, yeah, but that team is the, in my opinion, the worst team to ever get to the NBA Finals. The starting lineup of Eric Snow, Allen Iverson, George Lynch, Tyrone Hill, and Dikembe Mutombo. Not a lot of scoring on that team. So, um, you know, to say it nicely, and he didn't just carry that team to the Finals. He beat a Laker team that didn't lose a single game going into the Finals, and he won game one of that with probably the best – finals performance that we have seen and he and to me he's the best number three i know there's you know there may be another guy you know on our list that also wore that number as well but to me you know just a you know just you can tell that a lot of people copied his game following three terms on the city council and three terms in congress former congressman gary franks's consulting firm has helped scores of companies large fortune 500 firms small businesses and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. Dad, was there any other player that played from 1960 to 1990 that you wanted us to talk about? Well, Gary, counting is fundamental, and I think I went over because I did not add John Havlicek. I kept talking about him, but I did not include him. So... With John Havacek being part of my list of 25, it would mean that I have to take off one person. And that person will be 
Bernard King. Um, one reason is because Bernard King never saw a shot he didn't feel that he should take. He was always open. And so I will take him off because of that reason. And his team didn't win as much as they should have because he did you know, take a lot of shots. But even though I say that, I'm adding John Havlicek, who has taken more shots than anybody in the history of basketball. So uh, it's kind of contradictory, but the second oh, I'm sorry, most. the second most. The second most. The second most. So, a we won't mention his name. Who we'll yeah, talk we won't about mention later yeah. yeah, that's that true. Up until a certain point, he had the record for most shots taken, and that's John Havlicek. But a unique individual. The man could run forever. I mean, he just ran and ran and ran. And he was such an integral part of the Celtics in the 60s and of the Celtics in the 70s and won a, a lot of championships. I have to go check this to get the exact number. Scoring average, 20.8 points a game. Um, took a lot of shots, but he, he made 43% of his shots, 80, about 82% of his free throws. Got about six rebounds a game and about four and a half assists a game. Uh, Havlicek. Let's see, one NBA championship. See, one part of he was part of eight NBA championships. Eight. And he was a 13 time All Star. 13 time All Star. And for many of those years, he came off the bench. He was the sixth man for a number of years. Um, fantastic player, great defensive player. In fact, one of the clips that I'm sure everybody has seen, whoever, any, if you follow basketball, you've seen this clip. And that is, John Havlicek stole the ball. He stole the ball. John Havlicek stole the ball. And he did. And they tipped it over to Sam Jones and went in and scored, and they won that championship. And I think it was against the, uh, the 76ers when the 76ers had Will Chamberlain and Hal Gray, et cetera. Uh, but he was a great defensive player, and his stamina was un unmatched. No, no one could run as long as John Havlicek. And I remember when they interviewed him and they said, well, John, how can you run like that? He said, because I ran everywhere. So if I had to go to the store, I got out of the house, I started running to the store. If I had to go to the gym, I got out of the house, I ran to the gym. So he just he ran all the time and it showed because no one could stay with him. He was just, he was just run, run constantly. Uh, great college player as well. So he would be my, um, well, as I said before, we're not ranking them, but replacing Bernard King, he would add, he would be my person that would make me uh, have 25 in this category. Once again, we're not ranking the players at this point, but John Havacek would hold down the 25th spot. I'm sure his overall rankings when we start to rank folks will be much higher than that. Um, and Bernard King would be taken off, as I mentioned before. Now, Taking Bernard King off will have him join a group of people that are on the bubble. And I'm going to mention four of them rather quickly, and then I'm going to focus in on one, Gary. My bubble guys would be Dave Bing. And you know how much I love Dave Bing, Gary. I talk about him all the time, and I wanted to put him on my list. He averaged 20 points a game as a career. I kind of modeled my game after him. Uh, love the guy. He also became a politician. He became mayor of Detroit. He became a very successful businessman. I love the guy. I read his book when I was in high school. Um, right on the bubble. In fact, if I really, really look at my list and sharpen my pencil, he may just squeeze on there. Um, 
Okay. The other bubble guy is a guy I played against. I played against this guy, Walter Davis. I played against him when he was at North Carolina. And that, that, that North Carolina team that Yale played that year, I mean, they had four guys who were first-round draft picks. They had Walter Davis. They had Phil Ford, who I – I'm not going to say I guarded him, but I was supposed to be around him. So uh, I think the coach thought, thought I was supposed to be guarding him. I, I tried to stay with him. Um, and they had Walter Davis. They had Mitch Kupchak, who became general manager of the Lakers. And they had Tommy Lagarde, all first-round draft picks. And Walter Davis – Eight-time All-Star and also a scoring champion. Um, but he played for Phoenix, so no one really had a chance to truly appreciate the guy. And he's on my, he's on my bubble. And the next person I'm going to spend a little more time on, and that's because when I was a youngster, I wanted to be like this guy. And I know I've said this a number of times, but this is the guy I really wanted to be like. And when I would go to the gym at Tinker School in Waterbury and practice basketball, I would make believe I was this guy. And then many years later, we were able to actually be in the same profession and work out of the same building. And that guy is Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley went to Princeton. And when he was at Princeton, I said to myself, boy, I want to go to an Ivy League school. And I was only like 11, 12 years old, 13 years old. And Bill Bradley was arguably one of the best college basketball players ever. Um, he was just phenomenal. And that was on a team of, at Princeton that um, really didn't have anybody who <laughs> could go on to the NBA ranks. But Bradley carried them, carried that team to, um, to the Final Four. Um, scoring champion. Etc. But and he was an NBA player, but he missed two years of playing basketball professionally because he was a Rhodes Scholar as well. And so his overall scoring average with the Knicks was about 12, 13 points a game. But his his importance to the Knicks, well, I don't think they would have won those championships had it not been for the role in which Bill Bradley played. He he was an integral part of the team along with Dave the Busher and um and he would be on my bubble or honorable mention, if you would say. Um, years later, he became a United States senator. And years later, I became a congressman. So we ended up working together. And, and though I didn't have a very close working relationship with Bill Bradley, we uh, and last but not least of my bubble people. And I say that with a tremendous amount of affection for this guy. Um, kind of like the old man because he played so many years in the, in the ABA and he was such a street legend. Um, if Julius was the person that everyone went to see at Rutgers during the late 60s and the 70s, this guy people went to see at the Rutgers in the early 60s and mid-60s, and that's Connie Hawkins. Uh, Connie Hawkins played once again up west, so you know, we didn't get to see him that much. Played out in Phoenix, and he was quite the player. And he had huge hands, so he was able to handle the ball much like Dr. J did back in the day. And some of his dunks were just mesmerizing. I mean, they were just – he would have won 
the dunk contest year after year during his era, Gary. And he was able to score. He averaged about 19 points a game, and he got about nine rebounds a game and about four assists a game, shooting 47 48% from the field and about 78% from the free throw line. Very polished player, smooth, exciting to watch, uh, could really leap, very athletic. But he's on my bubble, um, but a great player. We have now captured our 25-25. That is 25 from me and 25 from Gary Jr. of the top 25 players, basketball players, from 1960 to 1990. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. We have much, much more to go. And good night. Don't forget to subscribe.